0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my good guests And my guest today is Elizabeth Sando, who already joined us 10 times and shared her truly deep insight into traditional Japanese food culture. Elizabeth is a food writer and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo, and she has lived in Japan for over 50 years. She runs a culinary art program called A Taste of Culture, which offers a great opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. And Elizabeth also, uh, is also author of six cookbooks, including the award-winning Washoku, Recipes for from Japanese Kitchen and Kibo, Recipes and Stories from the Japan's Tohoku and Kansha, celebrating Japan's vegan and vegetarian traditions. And today's topic is kombu. Kombu means dried things, and these are essential items in the traditional Japanese pantry, but rarely receive the attention they truly deserve. So today we'll discuss what kombu is, what, why they are so precious, how you can use them, uh, which is totally uh, foolproof, and Elizabeth's favorite kombu recipes, and much, much more. But before you start, Japanese is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So if you haven't, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japanese. And please write the review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Elizabeth Ando. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be back again. Yeah, so it's uh, we had a hiatus about two years, um, yeah, due to COVID. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, how you? How have you been for the last crazy uh, time? Bu- busy, busy doing all
1: sorts of things, mainly online rather than in person. And uh, little by little, Japan is uh, looking to open up again uh, to visitors coming, uh, which is good news, I think. Um, but it's been a it's been a long haul. Um, it's an opportunity though for a lot of people to get into the kitchen um, and start making food that they perhaps would have been too busy to bother with before. And um, I really uh, appreciate the fact that you let me choose the topic this time as kambutsu, which is one of my favorite um, set of items in, in a Japanese kitchen. Um, they, as you pointed out, they rarely get the uh, acclaim that they really deserve.
0: Um, ancient, but also modern and um, invaluable. I think. Mm, right, and also, I mean, when I grew up in Japan, I didn't even think of them, but they are kind of quietly secret weapons. So I look forward to learning more about them today. I, th- I think so. Um, right. They.
1: I, I think for people who have never looked at them or wander through um, an Asian grocery store and and see them, they wonder why people would ever want to um, use them. They're not particularly attractive. Um, they're dried, shriveled. Um, most of them come in a sealed package, so you don't even have a sense of the aroma. Um, and sometimes the instructions that are on the back of it are not Mm, immediately um, understandable. It, it seems almost too simple. Most of them need to be soaked uh, various lengths of time. Um, and some of them, the soaking liquid can be uh, also consumed, others they can't. Um, mm. And they make a whole bunch of wonderful foods.
0: Right. So let's um start from the beginning because I think the majority mm-hmm. of our listeners have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. So so first of all, what is kambutsu by definition and what is the history of kambutsu? Um by definition, it's a dried thing.
1: Um it covers a wide range of products. Um sourced from various different terrain from land and from sea. Uh, Some of them are animal products, some of them are not. Um, The history is sort of interesting. The first um, written record was in the Manyoshu, which is a collection of poetry, uh, 760 AD I believe is the date, um, and is often uh, quoted as the first written record for a lot of things. Um, But Truth be told, they were probably consumed uh, prehistory, the Jomon period, which goes back to 14,000 BC. Um, and uh, it's the kind of thing that probably was a natural phenomenon. Items got dried. And with the drying, the flavor became intensified and also spoilage was retarded. So, in the days long before refrigeration, or any kind of uh, swift transportation where you could uh, easily uh, obtain foods from an entirely different um, uh, terrain, um, kombucha became a way of ensuring you had something to eat um, year-round. And uh, it didn't really um, matter um, that it was immediately available or not. It could be preserved for a
0: fair amount of time. Mm, Right. And you mentioned the manyoshu. That's one of those, you know, titles that you always remember when you (laughs) read a textbook as, uh, you know, one of those uh, Japanese students. But uh, I heard the first uh, example of kanbutsu as dried rice, I mean, cooked and then dehydrated so that Mm. you can just carry around um, on your journey to somewhere near or far. And that's why you Know all the war fields, they the soldiers used to carry, dried, yes, Hoshi,
1: Hoshii, I, I think was the name that was given to it. And, um, in indeed it also becomes more lightweight because as something becomes dehydrated, the water in it, uh, the moisture in it is what makes it heavy, so it became lightweight, um, less likely to spoil, and could be revived or resuscitated, um, softened, uh, and consumed when you needed it, wherever you were. Um, so it's truly, in some sense, a, a, a almost a prehistoric um, convenience food.
0: Mm. Yeah, it might be useful for airplane troubling. <laughs> so well i don't know i i, I think uh, it might be worth revisiting
1: that for um kinaishoku for the food that's served on airplanes um, um there's something to be said for um uh, properly uh, uh softened uh kombutsu being brought back to um actually not their original stage but um this more intense flavorful um uh, Item. I often um, when I'm talking about kombucha will have people think about the difference between a fresh tomato and a dried tomato or a fresh apricot and a dried apricot. Um, they might both be wonderful, but they're probably not used in the same way. And the dried item, whether it's a tomato, or an apricot or, or whatever, is going to be very intensely flavored. Much more so
0: than the fresh item was originally. Mm, Right. Yeah. So, another example I heard uh, during the Edo period, um, there's, you know, Japan didn't trade with uh, anybody in theory, but there is uh, Nagasaki, that's the only port. And there was a big port to export dried abalone and shark fin Mm. and all those expensive items. So, it's not just, you know, uh, some daily item. Uh, dried and shrunk, there right. are some fancy items as well. So, kombutsu can be diverse. Uh, yes, thank
1: you for reminding me and, and everybody else. Indeed, and for okay. ceremonial purposes as well, um, very often dried uh, goods were, were placed um, uh, to show respect for them. Um, they were extremely important in kitchens before, modern um times because they could be kept for um, a long period of time and because they could be um, brought back to life if you will uh, whenever you needed them
0: mm. right. and also i think uh, kombucha re- reflects japanese mindset to preserve everything because such yes. a small country and it's been very poor up until you know recent centuries so um Yeah, it's just a mindset where you dry or ferment, something available has to be kept, so kombucha is as important as fermented items. Um, Indeed, I remember the first time I saw a kidiboshi
1: daikon, which is the shavings of of dried daikon radish um, that were being made, and um, very much impressed upon me that nothing went to waste. When daikon were harvested and they were perhaps bruised, um, you would peel them because you wanted the inner part of the daikon to cook. Uh, The peels never went to waste. They could always be dried um, and used in a number of other uh, dishes. So I I think probably kiriboshi was my first personal encounter um, with uh, a kombutsu that would do double duty, if you will, or multitask. It could produce a flavorful broth when it was being um, softened and it could also be cooked as a vegetable, uh, either on its own or mixed with a number of other um, items.
0: Mm, right, that's another beauty of it, so multitasking is possible. So we'll discuss those, the details, but um, right. um, I know you are very passionate passionate about kombucha, and, um, yes. but uh, uh, Why do you think it's valuable? Composite is valuable because it's uh, so handy? It's always available in your pantry? Why why do you think it's so valuable? uh, Personally,
1: today for me, it's um, my go-to when I don't get a chance to go shopping. (laughs) Um, I always know that I've got something that I can put together uh, for a meal. Uh, all I have to do is open the drawer that I have dedicated to most of my kombutsu. Um, What you need, by the way, is a cool, dry, and dark um, space, and it could be almost anywhere. Uh, And for me, it's not necessarily in the kitchen. My backup kombutsu is actually, um, my kitchen is fairly small, is in another location, but it's also cool and dark and dry. Um, And that way I know I can have it whenever
0: I need it. Mmm, maybe you can smell a nice shiitake mushroom smell when you sleep yeah. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so Elizabeth, you, you, you say in a previous conversation that kombucha is losing popularity in Japan uh, despite its valuable nature. So why do you think kombucha is not used as much as before by the Japanese people? <laughs> I think um, there are possibly two reasons.
1: Um, one is because um, there's really no advertising and nobody has started an Instagram account to, to, to tout how cute and wonderful these little dried darlings can be. Um, and there's a lot of competition for other convenience foods um, that are available in the supermarket. I think most large supermarkets in Japan will have sort of the basics. They will have this kiriboshi daikon, the dried um, daikon radish. They'll have hijiki, which is a sea vegetable. They'll have wakame, uh, which is another sea vegetable. Um, But perhaps they won't have um, many other varieties. And also cooking shows today in Japan are not focusing on it. Uh, There's nobody that's really out there trying to popularize um, them. Younger people, um, unless they have an example of a a mother or a grandmother perhaps who has been using them before, may not be familiar with how to use them properly. Um, So there's sort of all sorts of combined reasons, I think, why they've become less popular. Uh, Certainly, when I first came to Japan in the 1960s, um, every neighborhood also had specialty stores for kombutsu. Those stores had everything from dried beans um, to dried vegetables and also dried um, sea creatures. that were there. Um, Probably in the last 10 years or so, most of those stores have um, disappeared, certainly as independent stores. Um, There are a few purveyors, um, Tomizawa is is one of them, um, that have a lot of kombutsu for sale, but they um, again, they don't come with explanations and, and nobody seems to be out there trying to make them more
0: popular. Mm, right. Yeah, somebody has to make the packaging or some other yeah. you know, things sexier yeah. for because I, th- I think so. Yeah. Right. Because the value is definitely there. And uh, I mean, if you just throw in one piece of kombutsu for your dashi, you're a hero of the evening. <laughs> I, I, I'm not kind of not exaggerating because that happened yeah. to me. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah by the way, you mentioned Tomisa, I'm not associated with them, but there is a, it's a big, uh, I think, online right. grocery website. They are. And most of
1: the, uh, departments or food halls, um, in Japan, uh, they'll have a small section, um, for their things. It's sort of an, an independent shop within the larger one. And, um, certainly when I'm, when I'm looking for something, uh, less ordinary, um, that would be where I would first um look. There are also a few independent uh, sort of artisanal producers of um kombutsu, but they're very local and very specific to certain products. Um there are a number of specialty stores for katsuobushi, for kombu, um for dried beans, for dried grains. Um, but they're done There aren't the kinds of stores that there used to be uh, when I first came to Japan, which were well stocked, uh, multi purpose kombutsu ya, the the stores that specialized
0: in in kombutsu. Mm, Right. And then we tend to, now, the tone of uh, our conversation is like kombutsu is dying, you know, it's also very sad. But uh, actually, among chefs, their right. power never declined and uh, all top chefs are like, really fighting for the top quality, kombu, um, shiitake, all those things. So glad it's, it's not, it. yeah, it, so it's a wholesale level. Uh, the value is there, but the consumer level uh, is kind of that, that, That's it. a good distinction. I'm glad you made it. Um,
1: that's true. I think for the... The ordinary consumer and and the home cook, it might be um, a little extra effort to be able to source um, top quality things, Um, but I hope people will give it a go and maybe they'll be intrigued uh, when they're finished listening to this podcast um, (laughs) and uh, want to give it a go and try a couple of dishes made with uh,
0: kambutsu right okay so we'll take a quick break here and when you come back we'll discuss how you can actually use different kinds of delicious kombutsu so please stay with us today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies koring is part of the japanese culture and traditions but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. The knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corinne's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the Wellest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats on Heritage Reader Network, HRN. I'm your host, Taki Koteyama, and my guest today is Elizabeth Ando, a food writer and cookbook author and Japanese cooking instructor uh, based in Tokyo. So let's talk about actual kombucha items and how we can use them. So um, so there are mainly two types of kombutsu. One is to make stock, and the other one is to be cooked into dishes. And also you mentioned they can be both. Right. So, could you tell us about them? um well, the ones that are primarily for stock, the
1: first thing that comes to mind is kombu uh, kelp, and they are all different varieties and we did um, quite uh talked about it quite a bit uh, in a previous um episode um, and depending upon the kind of water that you have access to the kind of kombu you use is going to be um preferred. Uh, here in the Tokyo area where I am, um, uh, something called hidaka kombu is the preferred. And down in Osaka, where I used to live, uh, uh, rather had split my time between Tokyo and Osaka, uh, makombu is the preferred. Uh, if you go to an elegant um, restaurant, it's likely that the broth that um, you sipped and said, wow, what's this, was made with irishiri kombu. Um, and if you went to a temple vegetarian um, meal, it's likely that it was daosu kombu. Uh, each of them have distinctive um, sort of flavor profiles and behave a little bit differently. Um, but basically all kombu needs to be slowly extracted um, and uh, not actually brought to a boil just before uh, the boil. Uh, one way of, of recognizing that when you're cooking with it is when you begin to see bubbles starting to break on the surface around the edge, the rim of your pot. Um, and then that's probably the right temperature. In, in Celsius, it's about 70, 75. Um, and that's when all of the beauty in in the in the kombu and the kelp is allowed to uh, come out into the liquid, and you get this lovely broth. Um, there are other uh, kanbutsu that also go into making stock things, uh, primarily dried fishes. Uh, Katsobushi is, is probably the most commonly used, and the flakes already made, the, the fushi, um, and they provide a smoky, wonderful, uh, I call it the bacon of the sea, (laughs) sort of a a smoky uh, element uh, to any stock that's made with it. Uh, For those who are uh, vegetarian or or vegan and don't wish to use um, any fish products, um, shiitake mushrooms can create a gorgeous stock, uh, deeply... um, uh, foresty, uh, woodsy, um, and uh, enhances the flavor of so many other foods that are that are cooked with it. Um, or oh, one of the other fishes um, is niboshi, or uh, it's it's used primarily down in the kansai area, and certainly uh, in Shikoku, where my husband was from, and where I had my first Japan experiences. Uh, It becomes also known as Iriko. It became uh, a very important um, contributor to to many stocks uh, that we used. Um, But purely vegetable stocks too, Kiriboshi uh, Daikon gives off um, a lovely rather sweet Um, stock. So if you're using it to simmer other things, you can cut back on your sugar or eliminate sugar um, entirely to balance soy sauce that might be used in simmering with it because the stock itself is so uh, sweet on its own. Uh, Kampyo, which is gourd, um, one of my favorites because it's so versatile. Um, It can be anything made into an addictively good dried chip, uh, to nibble on, um, to making an elegant tie to hold other things together. Um, and it's also, uh, that sort of innocuous, um, brown strip in narrow sushi rolls, uh, called kampyomaki or, or norimaki. Um, and, uh, Campio also produces a lovely broth. You need to make sure that the campio was dried naturally and not with chemicals. Um, and you can look at the back of the label to, to check that one out. But um, it also gives a, a fairly sweet, not quite as sweet as, as the um, uh, daikon one, but a very sweet flavor. And if you're looking to cut back on
0: mm-hmm. um, sugar and meeting, it's a choice that you should probably think about. Mm, Okay, so we're going to get into each item, like uh, as many as we can, because there's so much to um, cover. So a couple of things before we do that. So uh, we had a conversation, listeners, on episode 131, 131. Um, Elizabeth extensively talked about kombutsu that was used in making Japanese traditional dashi stock so uh, if you're interested just go to uh, episode 131 and also um, I mean the uh, Elizabeth's sweet uh, yes. first experience in Japan let's summarize in episode 18 how she <laughs> visited Japan and then uh, met her husband at the host family that was a very romantic story so that's another thing <laughs> that really fun to listen to and uh, so and then you mentioned kombu. Kombu, of course, is the major source of uh, Dashi stock flavors, but they come majority, the vast majority, like 90% comes from hokkaido. And
1: right. then
0: interesting that you mentioned different types of different flavors. It's almost like you know, like a wine from Bordeaux, from Burgundy to it's right. like a vineyards, depending on which part of Hokkaido. So once you get into that, it's also like, oh, you can do this comparison of hidaka kombu to rouse kombu, and also texture is different, and uh, that yeah. determines how you cook it. So it's a whole rabbit hole waiting for you, <laughs> <or> kombu lovers. <laughs> yes, um, right. And uh, finally, so you mentioned the dried niboshi. Uh, right. Niboshi is a tiny kind of anchovies, and uh, I, whatever I trouble. Um, on airplane mm-hmm. i don't want to eat much of airplane food so <laughs> i just put it in my bag and when i get hungry instead of keep eating a lot of nuts and chocolate i have some niboshi and mm. uh, it really keeps your hunger in control and you feel good because it's full of calcium protein and you feel actually healthier so that's and, uh, my trouble and, tip. It's, and it's a nice chewy texture Um, yes exactly (laughs) crunchy chewy a potato chips too right (laughs) right all right so um let's see so there are various types of kombutsu and of course it's it's high um it's dried meaning you have to rehydrate it so could you tell us about those different ways to rehydrate right depending upon
1: what the item is, the amount of soaking in water is going to change, both the timing of it and the quantity of of the water. Um, There are a few um, items where you should not be consuming that water later. So since you're going to be throwing it away, especially wakame and hijiki, um, you only need to soak it enough to be able to soften it get rid of that initial softening uh, water, rinse it very briefly, and then be able
0: to use it. Um, mm-hmm. So you can basically and um, pick up uh, out of the bag, you have a piece of right. kanbutsu, and you have clean water, like running or, I mean, the... Top water, right? And soak it for depending on what kombucha you're talking about, so right? Um, and I
1: from- like to use glass jars, um, glass because it's non-reactive, so it's not going to be. If you use a, a, a metal or plastic container um, to soak them, it's a possible that there might be some interaction of of the flavor. Um, but glass is is totally, uh, and also you can see what's happening. Um, so save glass jam jars or whatever, um, and you put the kombutsu in, cover it with water, um, and most will be softened within 5 to 10 minutes. Um, A few dried shiitake is one of them, depending upon um, what type of shiitake that you're talking about, need to be soaked longer, possibly 20, 25, almost 30 minutes. Um, the donko the very um, thick uh, shiitake that have sort of um, that mottled appearance on top um, they take a long time um,
0: to soften mm, but maximum 30 minutes and you don't have to do anything so no, nothing I, you knew. just have to, remember <laughs> to you just have to remember to do it and
1: um there uh, the only ones that I wouldn't leave soaking forever are wakame and hijiki. I would let them soak each for maybe minimum of two or three minutes, maximum five or six. Drain them, rinse them, drain them again. Um, right. Otherwise, you could do it the night before, the morning before you leave the house. Um, if it's a very warm day, uh, you could put it in the refrigerator uh, and you come back and it, it's done. I. Um, Often will put a piece of kombu in a glass jar, um, fill it with water as soon as I wake up in the morning. <laughs> and mm. then I've got the beginnings of stock, no matter how I want to finish it off, um,
0: waiting for me. I don't have to remember to do it later. Mm, right. And uh I cannot stress enough how concentrated mummy is in all those dried kombutsu. So you you mentioned apricot. Uh, right. Or maybe like figs and dried fruits, a very concentrated right. sugar. But instead, kombucha has tons of umami, and yes. uh, I think it's almost like a hundred times or like ridiculous number of. I I saw data um shiitake to dried shiitake is like four hundred times or something like uh, really uh, concentrated. Yeah, at least I we probably
1: looked at the same chart at one time. I, I vaguely remember the number. F- 4, 410 or something like that um but very intensely uh flavored uh the dehydration of the um, shiitake really concentrates all of the flavor and all of the nutrients as well um so all of the positive nutrients that that were in there are
0: going to be more concentrated as well mm, right so not just the flavor it's healthy right. as well right. right so let's just dive into actual items because I think okay. majority of our listeners are still like, what, what? <laughs> so what kind of canvas can be used in their own kitchen? So I would like to start with uh, kanso wakame, um, okay. so dried wakame. And okay. uh, this is uh, the style of my summer salad. <laughs> so what is kanso wakame or dried wakame? Um, wakame is a sea vegetable. It's not a weed.
1: Um when it is harvested it is briefly dipped in boiling water and that's where the bright green color comes from if you see wakame as it comes out of the ocean it's brown reddish brown Um, but it turns bright green and then it is dried naturally uh once it, it once it has been packaged, it could be either in long strands or it could already be little pieces. Um, it expands to approximately three times the size that it looks like when it comes out of the package. So when you're putting it in at your glass jar and you see a couple of sort of shriveled little pieces at the bottom and you're wondering, is that really going to be enough? The answer is probably yes. Uh, A tablespoon of dried wakame will give you mm, slightly more than a half a cup, um, or a half to two thirds of a cup of of wakame once it's softened. Um, I don't know about you, but I I tend to uh, cluster my recipes into soups and salads for wakame. Um, I find that uh, it doesn't need a whole lot of cooking. Uh, once it's been softened, it can be dressed in a number of different um, uh, salad dressings. It can be mixed with um, lettuce. It can be mixed with other vegetables. Um, in the summer, I, I love to do a karashi sumiso, miso, which is a mustard Uh, vinegar, and miso sauce um, that I think is just fabulous, um, and especially refreshing in in hot, sticky weather. Um, When it gets a bit cooler, and I'm looking forward to those days, it hasn't gotten cooler yet in in Tokyo. um, I might use another kind of miso uh, with it, a darker red miso, uh, perhaps sweetened with a little bit of mirin or sugar, um, as a dip. Um, and uh, eat it just as as is. Um, in soups, I will often put it at the bottom of a bowl and pour soup on top of it so that it doesn't get sort of overcooked. Um, I like the texture of uh, wakame after it's been softened. And um, I, I, I personally do not like the softer texture that you get from cooking it further.
0: Mm, right. So... Yeah, I think uh, the texture is a good point because, um, when you see it, it's very, pretty thin. It's not like convo that's thick. And, um, yeah, somehow I found this, uh, convenient package at the grocery store, mm-hmm. Japanese grocery store. And, uh. It was a beautiful, like a mixture of different colored um, right. and a very inexpensive macame So I bought it and then I was like, great. And then I put some in the bowl and it, uh-huh. it grew 10 times. It was written 10 <laughs> times, <laughs> like okay. overflowing. But happily, you know, you can have, you can use uh, vinegar and you know, like quick salad, soy sauce and vinegar. It's so refreshing in the summertime. Right. And you feel just so good. And also I I think it's a great idea to put in a, a miso soup because the umami multiplies with the miso and wakame. Right. So and also
1: with with noodle uh, dishes, um, especially uh, soup noodles. Um, mm. uh, it certainly can be used with ramen, but also with udon. Um, I love the combination of wakame and uh, ume, umeboshi uh, mm. uh, with udon and also with somen, the thinner white
0: noodles. Right. Yeah, so it's a, like, again, kanbutsu is another kind of tip or, like, secret weapon you can add deep in the flavor just by throwing it in because it's so easy to rehydrate. And yes. And wakame is just one of the most handiest kanbutsu. Right. So, right. So, okay, so next one, we have uh, hijiki. Right. So, that hijiki is uh, i'm sure listeners will have been to Japanese izakaya and um, hijiki with um, you know the fried tofu and the mixture of the sweet and soy sauce that's like the classic uh, izakaya right. item so so what is hijiki and uh, how do you use it
1: okay so hijiki is also a sea vegetable it's not a weed it's a vegetable um and uh, when it gets harvested um, there are long, I, I guess you call them fronds. They look almost like um, a branch on a tree, and you'll often see a hijiki packaged as either Mei hijiki, which are the little teeny tiny bud pieces or Naga hijiki, which are the longer pieces. Um, so if you think of a a uh, a branch that has uh, smaller uh, branches coming off of it as it gets dried and processed, it usually gets put through a sieve that separates out the longer strands from the smaller bits and pieces. And they can be cooked and used exactly the same way, but I don't know about other people, but I tend to use mehijiki if the final way I'm going to be serving it is small, like if it's going to be used in an obento, if it's going to be in a tiny little dish, Um, that way I don't have to cut it. I can use it just as is. And, um, I prefer to use nagahijiki when I'm looking to present volume in a larger bowl. (laughs) Um, and depending upon which size of the hijiki is, it's the exact same plant. It's just a different part of the plant. Um, I might cut the length of the carrots or the fried tofu uh, differently um, to match it. Um, again with, with Hijiki, I'll then to do sort of julienne um, carrots that are longer strips, and maybe uh, green vegetable, also green beans, and cut them on the diagonal and make it a, a more colorful uh, ar- arrangement. Um, I always make a lot of hijiki. I love the stuff, but I make a lot of it because it will keep for two, three days after it's been made. And um, the second use, if you will, is mixed in a tofu sauce, shira um, That's also a wonderful dish. Um, and almost inevitably, I will be using, um, after I after I make hijiki as a nimono, as, as a sumit dish, I will one or two days later, be serving it in a tofu sauce. So um, so next one, what is kampyo? Okay. Kampyo is a gourd. Um, it's rarely eaten as a gourd. Uh, rather, it gets shaved into ribbons. Um, and those ribbons get cooked into a number of different dishes. Um, the... The size of the ribbon, the width of it can change from package to package, and um if when you look at the package, it looks very white as opposed to slightly um, brown, uh, it's probably been bleached uh check on the back of the package, and if it's been bleached, that means you should not be using the um liquid from softening it. uh you can still eat the kampio without any problem at all, but I would not recommend trying to use that softening liquid uh as a broth. Uh, only if for those that bleached. have not right only for those that have not been chemically dried or bleached.
0: Right. Yes, so kampyo uh, probably most likely, uh Lisa has never heard of it, but if you go to sushi, traditional Japanese sushi restaurant, it's most likely you can find kampyo roll And um like when I was little, I was too too young to eat spicy wasabi sushi. I nice. would look for kampyo rolls <laughs> because it's a sweet and uh, crunchy and it's like a great mouthfeel. And it has a lot of umami. I think that Japanese can get, mm. get educated uh, about umami on your tongue through those dried items, I think. I know I think that
1: way. I, I, I think so, too. It's, a, it's an early um, experience, and I think it's a memorable one. And uh, it forms a, a sort of a background uh, for future flavors that you're going to be tasting. And um, I certainly think it contributes to an appreciation of um, umami uh mm. being introduced to it at a very young age um kampyo the kind that's done in the sushi rolls is usually been after it's been softened it's been simmered in a slightly sweet um soy broth and that's where it gets that brown color from and the sweet flavor and again it has a uh, it's soft but it's got a nice chew to it um a very satisfying mouth feel
0: mm, right so i heard it's more popular in the kanto region which is surrounded in tokyo tokyo region and uh, and if you go to osaka region it's not as popular because i think sushi was born in in kanto in tokyo so um, there's some regional differences but okay so um the next one is kiriboshi daikon you mentioned earlier and uh, that's right. your favorite so what is
1: special about
0: it well it was certainly the first
1: experience that i had with it um so daikon is is a radish and um it does get dried out and uh naturally but it can also be uh dried on purpose and most often it's um shreds that you will see um in packages that are are for commercial sale um people who make it uh themselves will use scraps from after peeling daikon to use it for other things. Um, for several years, I uh, made a lot of kombutsu myself, um, but that was actually, I used a an electric machine to help me uh, dry things out because Japan is so humid, and I finally decided I couldn't justify all the electricity that was being used um, for that. Um, when I'm able to dry it naturally, I will. Um, but urban Tokyo life, it, it's its hard. I end up buying most of my kiriboshi daikon. Um, it's a, uh, a sort of the classic for me is, again, with carrots and uh, probably fried tofu. Um, sometimes I will soften it with a piece of kombu at the same time. And then I will take that kombu and actually with scissors because kombu can get to be slippery and harder to cut with a knife. Although you could do it with the tip of a very sharp knife. I will cut it into uh, thread thin uh, pieces and cook them together um, with the uh, kiriboshi daikon to make uh, a nimono. As a matter of fact, I had that for dinner tonight.
0: <laughs> mm, nice. So, so by the way, daikon, Japanese daikon is big and thick and long, and uh, or Japanese people call a young girl's big fat leg, the daikon legs. <laughs> yes, that's
1: <laughs> I know, I know, especially since um, colored uh tights were very popular in the 1960s, and I had been called daikon-ashi on many occasions. <laughs> yes. I, um,
0: that's funny. Uh, but there's another thing. Like Usually, American uh, vegetables, like eggplants, yeah. are bigger than Japanese uh, native eggplants. But yeah. in the case of daikon, that's the opposite. It's huge and right. it's juicy, and it's not like you know something you process and it kind of dries out. It's very juicy, that's why, you know, you have to dry, spend a lot of work and time and probably energy to dry. But um, it's really tasty and concentrated flavor. And because it's daikon, it goes so well with other um, flavors, like you mentioned, carrots, sweetness, and um, dried uh, tofu that has rich fat. Right. The the other way I cook it is with
1: um, bacon and or um, chicken uh, and shred it and cook it together. And it's also uh, almost like a main course, um, dish, uh, w- the vegetable, uh, versions will keep longer, uh, and be able to be kept in the refrigerator well for four or five, six days. Uh, once you introduce meat to it, it, it tends to be, but I'm not unhappy eating it within two days,
0: but it will not keep <laughs> as long right Right. okay so the next one is fun uh it's content so content is similar to agar agar and gelatin and i find it very useful uh so what is content and what is the difference between um agar agar um Content again is a sea vegetable
1: um busa, heavenly grass um, is the source of it and there are different um stories, if you will, legends about how it was originally um, discovered or realized and and put to use um Because it's freeze-dried, and I know that sounds very, very modern, but it was a natural freeze-dry. In other words, it was freezing temperatures at night and very dry temperatures during the day. And uh, Nagano Prefecture, which um, is cold, dry um, weather, uh, similar to many places in Northern America, was where content first really became um utilized in, in large measure um, and they, when you dry the uh the tengusa it turns out to look almost like um a styrofoam sticks i i mean mm. it, it sort of doesn't look like it's a food um and It is still sold in stick form, although more likely today it's going to be powdered, and the powdered form is easier to use. But um, the sticks can be either fairly thick blocks, um, or they could be more narrow threads. Um, It also has nearly zero calories, and is often um, added. There, there's content that can be eaten just as is. It's a little crunchy, it's a, a little chewy, um, and shredded and mixed in salads, uh, and it's sort of a filler. There's another version that can be cooked with rice um, that will uh, reduce the caloric intake of the same bowl of rice because part of it is content uh, as well. But most often, content is cooked on purpose uh, to make a kind of an aspic or
0: uh, a gelatin. Mm, right. And uh, I also wanted to see the difference between gelatin and here is the thing. So content, right. it can be superior to gelatin because of no taste or order
1: mm. uh, instead
0: of gelatin's animal source. Right. And uh, it sits more firmly than gelatin and also sits at room temperature. Yes. And it can stay firm at the warmer temperature. So that's why you can find beautiful japanese style jelly sweets like at the tea ceremony or japanese beautiful shops served at temperatures so. yeah
1: the, the i'm not familiar with the specifics of the chemistry and the chemical differences but also certain things will gel with content like fresh pineapple that gelatin will never gel um but the one The fruit that I had difficulty with, and I I have memories of um, doing a demonstration and the content never gelled, was with Key Limes down in Florida. So oh. I'm, not, I'm not quite sure why key limes. I've done it with sudachi and other kinds of limes and never a problem, but um, waited and waited and was duly embarrassed to discover that, indeed, the content <laughs> did not set at, at all uh, during the demonstration. But otherwise, it's wonderful because it does gel at, at room temperature, which means you can put it in an obento, and it's also not going to weep. The way um, gelatin often does, and of mm. course it's, it's vegan; it's it's uh, it's not an animal product,
0: right? And also, kanten is not as translucent as agar al- no. but it solidifies very firmly. So there's a trade off, right. and also, um, you know, texture between kanten and agar Um mm. There's a difference, and agar has a melting soft right. texture, whereas content has a firmer mouthfeel. It's kind of like, uh, I think it's just a fi- uh, higher fiber content, which is good for your digestion too. So, mm. um, yeah, it, you can play with these three players content, agar, and gelatin, but content mm. is pretty advantageous in many occasions when it comes to texture and temperature. Right.
1: It's great to have um, in the kitchen. Um, And again, the powdered form is is easier. So the sticks, when you want to use them to cook into an aspic, for example, you have to soak them, you have to squeeze them, you have to simmer them. Um, It's a fairly... um, Multi-stage process to be able to cook with it. The powdered form merely needs to be soaked in a small amount of, of water, just enough to sort of moisten it, um, and then cooked and, and stirred into whatever flavored um, liquid you're going to be using for your for your aspect. So it's much easier to use. And it can often be used with other foods um, to help them become slightly firmer. Um, I don't do a whole lot of baking or, or confectionery making, but it's a very important ingredient for many confections. Mm, like,
0: uh, what kind of examples do you have?
1: Um, well, as you pointed out for the tea ceremony sweets, um, there are many that are uh, primarily um, content, but there's also a snack that I happen to personally love. Um, it's made with dried persimmons and content. Um and uh they're wonderful little chewy snacks um and you're cooking them all together, it forms sort of a uh, a loaf and they can be cut into smaller pieces and um enjoyed um almost like caramels um but mm-hmm. the flavor is persimmon and it's it's quite wonderful so it's used in a lot of um confections candies um. Uh, here in Japan, and I suspect could be could be a sort of a secret ingredient um for similar textured foods that are um, uh, served outside Japan as well. A lot mm. of people have discovered um content if you will as as a an option for um for cooking but I like to keep it uh on hand especially in in the summer to be able to make um cool um, sort of the so sort of slithery when you're eating them down your throat um, uh, dishes. Uh, the other is it makes a wonderful um, coffee jelly uh, yes. that, you can, that, you, that you can form in a coffee cup and then you can if you want to pipe some whipped cream on top you can do that as well. But kuhi ziti mm. in Japan is a is a popular um,
0: way to use kanten. Right. it's I, I didn't know that it was so available everywhere in japan i didn't know that it was pretty unique in japan until recently actually <laughs> and uh yeah so if you i mean listeners if you go to go, go to japanese uh convenience stores or supermarkets they definitely always have coffee jelly yes. and uh their coffee tend to be intense, and it's, it's the flavor is just so unique and uh and the cream on top that's addictive right. sweet and right. i have to admit i'm addicted to it so all right, and um, yeah, so we've discussed several kombutsu items today, and many of which happen to be made with uh, sea vegetables, seaweed, but they are not the only ones. Of course, um, a lot of different kombutsu, and of course, uh, for kombu dashi, and katsuobushi, bonito, they're all mummy-rich, and uh, it's unlimited. So yeah, I think hopefully uh, our listeners can discover some of those and try easily at their own kitchen today. So, um, and you have lots of valuable resources about kombucha and everything else on your website and your (laughs) books. So tell us how our listeners can find them. Um, The
1: easiest way to find a catalog of of suggestions is a post that I put up a couple of days ago uh, to my Kitchen Culture um, blog. So tasteofculture.com is my website. And if you go to the Kitchen Culture tab, um, the current one that's being displayed is indeed on Kambutsu. And um, once that gets archived, you can always... um, do a search on my website uh, for it. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the uh, Do you spell it with an M or an N? And I tend to spell it with an M. I also use M for kombu rather than kunbu. The um, actual... Hiragana could go either way, and depending upon whose book you're reading and who you're talking to, it could be an N or an M for the spelling. Um, I think my website is trained to recognize both, but I do spell it with an M K A M B U T S U, and I call them the dried darlings of the Japanese pantry. So it's likely if you do search under any of those words, you're gonna be able to come up with it. Um, but what I did was a, a list of um, recipes and whole chapters um, in, my, in my book that are devoted to Kanbutsu, as well as links to specific ones that are already
0: um, archived on my website. Mm, right, I'm looking at uh, the page at you posted on right. September 25th and uh, it's just beautiful pictures. If you listeners had <laughs> not a visible idea of what we are talking about today, it's beautiful beautiful pictures and recipes and uh, I really realize kambus are very healthy too. so yes yeah. Um, right. all of
1: all of the nutrients that would be in the fresh item. Are more concentrated. So, all of the, um, the, many of them have a great deal of calcium, certainly a lot of fiber, um, and other trace minerals as well. Um, And uh, all of that has been sort of concentrated and locked into the kombutsu. So, um, they're not being lost when you're um, cooking them
0: later. Mm, Right. Okay, so where can we find your updates online and on social media? Uh, in addition to your website. Okay, so... Uh, on my website also is a, is a way to easily click into
1: the uh, Facebook group uh, that I run, which is the Kitchen Culture Cooking Club. Um, and I also have a tab for that on my uh, on my website. And once a month, I try to keep to that schedule, once a month, I will post a new project that's related to um, the, whatever topic I've chosen for the um, Kitchen Culture blog. Um, I haven't posted one specifically for kombu uh, but the last newsletter that I did was about Kampyo and uh, you can also find that on my website and a whole page devoted to Kampyo and recipes about it and also the history of it all sorts of information um about that so probably i'd suggest that people start at my website and all of the other uh links including once this recording is available i'll list it under my podcasts (laughs) and they can listen to it again um there so that's a good place i think to to start also my twitter account i i try to to post to both um i'm not quite as active as i probably should be sorry about that
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like everybody else right. <laughs> so right but again the website is uh tasteofculture.com, right. one word right so at the bottom there's link to uh, links to facebook and twitter so right. yes yeah. so thank you so much and uh, i really you. enjoyed another tense episode with you thank you and uh, yeah look going forward to the next one so we have to discuss what to discuss next time right right all right. So thank you so much. And Thank you. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at Needs at the heritage Radio network.org or akikotema.com. Japan Needs is a weekly program and always available at heritage dot network.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Amin Benjamin and thank you for listening. I will see you next week.